This is a podcast from BFM 89.9, The Business Station. 8.35 a.m. You're listening to The Morning Run. I'm Shazana Mokdar with Wang Xiaoning and Chong Jen San. In half an hour, we have the opening bell where we check out how Bursa Malaysia begins the trading day. But before that, let's turn our attention to the land of the rising sun. The Japanese economy averted recession in the fourth quarter of 2022, expanding by an annualized 0.6%. But this was much smaller than the median forecast of 2% GDP growth. For comparison, the economy shrunk by 1% in the preceding summer quarter. Not only is the rate of recovery slower than expected, inflation is also rising at the fastest rate in 40 years. Core consumer prices rose by 4% in December, double the target rate of the central bank. The latest data point to the challenge for incoming Bank of Japan Governor Kazuo Uda in normalising the bank's ultra-loose policy without derailing the fragile economic recovery. Uida was nominated to replace Governor Haurihiko Kuroda, whose term ends in April. His appointment will be subject to parliamentary approval. But what options does the Japanese central bank and government have to navigate this very delicate policy tightrope? So joining us to discuss this is William Pezek, a Tokyo-based journalist and columnist with Nikkei Asia. William, good morning. Thanks very much for joining us. So despite reversing from the downward trend of the previous quarter, Japan's fourth quarter GDP came in far below expectations. What accounts for this lackluster performance? Well, it's a combination of higher inflation than expected, uh, somewhat weaker demand for Japanese exports overseas. And part of it is also uh, fewer tourism flows than Japan was hoping to see. You know, certainly Japan has reopened from the COVID era, and there certainly isn't a big influx of tourism coming from you know, from North Asia, from Southeast Asia as well, from, from Australia, from the West. It's not the kinds of numbers Japan had hoped for. But the biggest problem is the, uh, the same problem Japan's had for the last 10 years, which is basically a, a lack of domestic consumption. You know, consumption has perked up a little bit, but not at a pace that you would expect, given the, the government's optimism, the government's argument that the economy will be growing better in the year ahead. So there still is a lack of confidence here among consumers and households. And William, at the same time, inflation is rising at a record pace. How does this affect <clears throat> growth projections for 2023? What other factors might also come into play? Well, the inflation numbers are biting households. I mean, they're at, we're basically at about 40-year highs in terms of inflation. So Japan has a similar problem to the U.S. Not the same, you know, not this inflation rising at the same clip, but the 40-year benchmark does matter in terms of consumer confidence. What's interesting is that Japan's been trying to generate inflation desperately for about 10 years now. It's finally getting it, but it's bad inflation. It's inflation imported from overseas, high energy prices, high food prices, all imported on an undervalued currency. So it's sort of the last kind of inflation that you want. And that puts the Bank of Japan in a very difficult spot because the government is not doing a great deal to increase efficiency, to, to increase productivity in ways that would tame inflation at home and abroad. So it's going to be a very challenging year for the Bank of Japan and for the government here. Okay, so let's focus on the Bank of Japan. We know that likely Kazuo Ida is going to take over as governor. You know, how has his <clears throat> nomination been received by policymakers, investors, and the public? And is he up to the task of managing inflation without derailing recovery? 
Well, first of all, he was a big surprise. I mean, when you look at the the lists of possibilities, he was nowhere to be found. I think when he was named, you know, his name is Ueda, and investors were joking that the question was, who Ueda? I mean, I think everyone <laughs> wants to... Everybody went to Google to figure out who this guy was, including me. I, and I've been living here for quite some time writing about the Bank of Japan. Um, what's interesting is that the front runner for the job, uh, Masayoshi Amamiya, he turned it down. He's currently the BOJ's deputy governor. He turned it down, and I think he turned it down because he realizes that the BOJ job is kind of a poison chalice job, right? You're, you're going to have to unwind 23 years of quantitative easing without crashing the economy. And if you're Governor Ueda, um, he, I mean, he's been at the BOJ before. He worked at the BOJ as the senior policymaker in the late 90s and early 2000s. So he he knows the lay of the land. And in some ways, he's an MIT alum. Um, he's ver- pretty well pretty well respected in, in global circles. And so arguably, if you're looking for a policymaker who, who is an independent thinker who might shake things up, he probably is a good candidate. The question is whether the political system here, the political zeitgeist, if you will, will allow him to, because the Prime Minister Kashid at the moment, his approval ratings are in the mid-20s. So will the political empire allow the BOJ to have the autonomy it needs to change policy? That's an open question. What policy levers does the incoming BOJ governor have to navigate the task at hand? Assuming that um, he is given the leeway, um, how different do you think Ueda's strategy could be from his predecessor? Well, I mean, Oweda's challenge is he does need to find an exit from, again, this 23 years of quantitative easing. But the problem is that Japan is, you know, holds more than half of the government bond market, more than 51% of government bonds. It's the largest investor in the stock market through exchange-traded funds. And so essentially Japan for 20, 23 years now has become kind of addicted, if you will, to free money. And it's become part of the economic filament. And, you know, back in December, the BOJ tried to make a very, very small technical tweak to bond yields. And the global economy just shook their head and said no. I mean, but the yen surged and markets quaked. And they said to the BOJ, we're not ready for change. And so there isn't a great deal he can do at the moment. I, I think of the BOJ right now as a, as a big game of Jenga, right? You have to pull these blocks out without the entire tower crashing down. And I think for Ueda, it's going to be arriving at his office and trying to figure out what levers can I pull that don't have a, a massive butterfly effect elsewhere and crash the economy. I, I, don't, I don't envy the job ahead for this guy. It really is the worst job in global economics, I would argue. And William, you wrote recently that Japanese Prime Minister Fumio Kishida has yet to act on his bold proposals for <clears throat> economic reforms, and this is setting Japan back against economic rivals. What explains the lack of urgency and what policies should be fast-tracked, in your view? Well, Japan's diet, the parliament here, it's a very change-averse system. And we can see that 10 years ago, we had Prime Minister Shinzo Abe come along, very powerful politician, very at the time, very well-respected politician with a very bold blueprint to fix the economy. He did very little of it. And so you have two prime ministers since Abe left the scene in 2020, and he's been assassinated since, but you know, you've had two prime ministers since who've done very little to shake up the economy. Prime Minister Kishida talked a very good game of raising Japan's economic game to increasing, uh, you know, our, our startup numbers to creating more unicorns, increasing productivity and innovation. 
and he's done very little. And now his approval ratings are in the 20s. The problem is that, you know, Japan's political empire, if you will, is very change averse. And we continue to see this revolving door of politicians who spend so much time keeping their jobs, they don't have a lot of time to do their jobs. I mean, I often think that events in Putrajaya are something of a, of a, a complementary problem, if you will. I, I often think, too, that Malaysia often has this revolving door of governments that spend so much time trying to keep their jobs. There's not a lot of time and, and you know courage, if you will, to do their jobs. And that's where Japan is 10 years after Abenomics was supposed to turn us into a, a vibrant, innovative force. Well, hopefully Japan doesn't have four prime ministers in four years, just like Malaysia. But <laughs> on, on, a, Indeed. on a serious note, I mean, when you look at uh, Japan, one of the biggest headwinds they face is, of course, a falling birth rate. Um, demographics are not in favour of economic growth. But K- Kishida has pledged to introduce policies to reverse that decline. I mean, is it? do you see that happening anytime soon or are they just very small baby steps? Well, I think, you know, Kishida certainly has talked about this in existential terms, which is a bit of a change in terms of Japanese politics. The way that he's approached this really is with a sense of urgency. However, when he talks about how we need to come up with new policies to fix the problem, he's saying, well, you know, give me some proposals by next year. (laughs) So, um, you know, for me, I think everyone here knows what needs to be done. I mean, basically, Japan needs to incentivize families, literally, to have children, you know, tax incentives, perhaps paying for daycare, perhaps free education. You know, Singapore has done some of these things. Japan can look at what Singapore has done and they can emulate it. We can do this tomorrow, next week, next month. But Kishida is saying, give me proposals for 2024, which means we're into 2025 before anything actually happens on the ground. So it's great we're talking about it. It's very important, especially when Japanese debt is 260% of GDP. But the urgency still seems to be lacking. I hope I'm wrong, but, you know, we'll see. What about immigration, um, William? Could that ever be on the cards for for Japanese policymakers to be open to? Again, this is something that we talk about quite a bit here. We're opening up to, to immigration. We're trying to import more foreign talent. But there are a variety of problems on the ground here. One is that the red tape involved in moving here is still an issue. I mean, Japan said two years ago that we have an app that foreign residents like me who live here can renew their visas um, every five years. Um, I still can't figure out how to use it. It doesn't work. Um, And also the other problem, too, is English proficiency. If you are a foreigner and you move to Singapore, you move to Hong Kong, you can operate pretty easily. In Japan, if you do not have a rudimentary understanding of Japanese and an ability to read prospectuses in Japanese, it's kind of pointless to be here. So you know, we have a kind of a software problem uh, at the moment. We'll see. William, thanks very much for speaking with us. That was William Pezet, columnist at Nikkei Asia, helping us understand the dynamics of the Japanese economy at the moment and the real monumental challenge facing incoming BOJ governor um, with Kazuo Ueda. Yeah, t- apparently he has the toughest job of any central bank in the world. Imagine when you're when the bank owns 130%, well, 7 point, what is it? 735 trillion yen worth of bonds and stocks, which you have to unwind. We're equivalent to 130% of GDP. And the market's been used to you being the buyer of last resort. What happens then? 
Yeah, I think fund managers are getting a bit nervous as well. I think BlackRock recently cut Japanese stocks to underweight and they said the change in leadership could lead to a hawkish pivot for the Bank of Japan, which has always maintained their ultra-dovish policy. All right, something to keep an eye on. It's 8.47 in the morning. We're taking a quick break. And when we come back, how can we pare down the, the country's national debt? Maybe listing Petronas is a solution. Stay tuned, BFM 89.9. You have been listening to a podcast from BFM 89.9, The Business Station. For more stories of the same kind, download the BFM app.